0: Hello and welcome to the Market Bull Podcast. Please note, topics and stocks discussed in this podcast are not financial or investment advice. Today on the show, I got to speak with David Morgan, a widely recognized analyst in precious metals and a macroeconomist. He is the founder of the Morgan Report, a publication that helps educate investors to understand market dynamics and assist them in building their portfolios. We looked at the US markets and his predictions for what could unfold in the next 12 months. David also talked about gold and why the central banks are buying it at record levels. We finally looked at silver, the changes in its demand, the current silver squeeze on the horizon and potentially why large investors haven't paid attention to it as of yet. So hello, I'm Ben Kostrich and this is the Market Bull podcast. Joining me today on the show is David Morgan, the founder of The Morgan Report. Uh, based in Washington State, so we're doing this remotely, naturally. Uh, So welcome to the show, David.
1: Oh, Ben, thanks for having me.
0: So for those that may not be familiar with you, you're a keynote speaker. You've been covering precious metals and really investing for, well, a long time, really, probably over 20 years. Uh, But getting into that and your history and who are you as a person, how did you venture into this and actually building up the following of of the Morgan Report uh, and getting it out to the masses?
1: California, they have what's called the Uniform Gift to Miners Act. My father signed that document, which allowed me to start trading. I was actually trading the Dow Jones Industrial Average at that time. So I've been an uh, avid investor for quite some time. On the Morgan Report, I worked in the industry in the uh, aircraft industry for um, over 10 years. And during that time, I was also with the uh, Moonlighting had an insurance license, a real estate license, was working with a certified financial planner, but on a part-time basis. And, uh, but my fascination was always in uh, finance. Even though I had a great aircraft career, and there's no need to talk about it, but I got into this sector and I wanted to be in it for a long time. But when the internet came around, I realized I had an opportunity to do something based on natural resources. And I rebranded from the Silver Investor The Morgan Report years ago, because there was um, a lot of people that just thought silver was all I covered. And that's not true. I've covered everything in the resource sector, meaning you know rare earth elements. We were maybe the first on that sector, <clears throat> lithium, et cetera. So when the internet came up and started to grow, I thought, well, I could start an electronic letter uh, without all the costs that are involved within the old days the snail mail. Because in those days you had pretty big uh, Downstroke, meaning a lot of money to buy an expired list of a bunch of newsletter readers, write a really great sales letter, give them a sample copy of your newsletter and pray that you got, you know, 2% to sign up for it. Whereas the internet, you don't have those expenses. So I just started off with a a web page that I built myself. A guy called me up. I had that page up for probably five months or so. Said, what does the Silver Guru do? I said, well, I write a newsletter. He said, how much? He said, well, I've been in business two seconds. What so I tell this guy? Mm-hmm. gave him a number. He um, said, fine. And I was levitating. I was so happy because I'm in exactly where I want to be as far as a career choice and doing my passion. And uh, then after the levitation wore off, I did the one-handed salute, the one-handed clap. I go, Wait a minute. <laughs> what did I just do? I told this guy I'd write everything I know about the research sector for one year for 60 bucks. That does not sound like early retirement. So I struggled uh, financially, although I worked two jobs. Um, The amount of money I made, I think the first year was like $6,000 or the whole year. Uh, But once I got past 100 paid subscribers, it just seemed to accelerate. And then my reputation built and I got more invitations, started speaking here, there and everywhere. And, you know, just kind of uh, organically grew. To a level that you you know indicated at the beginning, and uh, you know I'm known to be well versed in the precious metals and other sectors. I'm a big picture macro guy, I talk everything in the economy. I've uh, been fascinated by money for almost my entire life, and it's my passion. So it was with, without the ability to do it on the internet, I may not be in this uh, business. I had to again do it the old-fashioned way, but since the internet made it so easy cost-wise to spread the word. And of course, the main thing is you can build a website and expect to make money and you can't because the Mm -hmm. whole thing is marketing. And Unfortunately, in my industry, a lot of the marketing has to do with uh, what I call the story stocks or the penny dreadfuls. You know, they've got a great story, but they never go anywhere unless, and often, well, I should say they don't go anywhere. A lot of them don't go anywhere. One out of 4,000 becomes a mine. So the other 3,999 eventually go to zero. But there's a lot to that industry, and it's the one that um, most, well, not, I'd say less than half now. In the old days, almost the most were written on the penny stocks, not so much anymore. The more and more in the industry are more balanced and do what I do, which is put big money in big companies, mid-tier companies, you know, medium amount of money. And if you're going to speculate in the penny dreadfuls, choose them wisely and just bet a little to win a lot. Don't put the farm on.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's all given your risk profile, uh, and I mean, yeah, I'm more focused on the the Australian security side. You're on the the US, and I think there's almost these days you can get into stocks anywhere, which means that naturally you need voices all around the world to help you understand what's going on because it, there's just not enough hours in the day to to analyze everything. But. <clears throat> Naturally, I, I mean, over your years, there's probably been a lot of sort of black swan events or moments in time that have really captivated and, and changed people's emotions. And it goes without saying the pandemic was was quite a, well, a- outside of the norm, I'd say, in regards to reaction and then the emphatic rise and just the way that the whole thing has been handled. So, I mean, looking at where we're flooding into now, uh, I mean, the markets, we've sort of still dabbling with this idea that we've got a recession looming. Uh, but what are your thoughts in in the regards to seeing how these next six months, six to 12 months, are starting to play out, given that, well, especially in the US, the Feds might have managed to pull off a soft landing, touch wood, at least.
1: Well, we're officially in a recession, but the, <clears throat> the government changed the rules or changed yeah. the uh, nomenclature, you could say. <clears throat> so the next six to 12 months, I expect interest rates in the United States to continue to rise. I expect at some point the stock market will reach reality. And the reality is that there's very little connection between the physical economy, what we produce, and the financial markets, i.e., the stock and bond markets. There's a discontinuity. They're showing by their numbers that we're doing great and things are growing and nothing to worry about, you know, and that's just a lie there's a lot to worry about there's a supply chain breakdown there's massive amounts of zombie corporations meaning they they're insolvent they can't pay their dividends they can't really make a they're not making a profit and they're only existing because the bankers uh, allow them to continue to borrow more money and uh, pour down a, a black hole so at some point there will be a an adjustment in the financial system or financial markets that were more in line with what the physical, physical economy is doing. I think that could take place probably in October of this year. Nobody knows. The scariest two months of the year for Americans are April for taxes and October for Halloween, or, or <laughs> often a, a big discontinuity in the stock market. So I think within 12 months, you know, October is my guess. But I'd say within a year's time, we will have a change in the valuations of a lot of stocks. By the way, the stock market is really um, manipulated like all markets, all markets these days are manipulated. And the way you can get the stock market to look good is you can buy the major, really big, powerful, high-float companies that are known and keep them afloat because they represent such a percentage of the S&P index. And if you keep them up, uh it looks good but it's cut it's rigged uh there's a lot of other companies so if you do it on balance and you look at uh, the overall picture the stock market is not as robust as it would appear based on the numbers you're on television
0: okay so then i mean naturally if we're potentially going towards towards this point i mean that sort of gives its way for precious metals and and the the trusted and safe havens of gold and potentially silver. Um so I mean starting on gold, I mean the the price of gold has been hovering at least on the spot price at a relatively consolidation level. And I mean I followed it for a while and once I've got the the best experience to judge if it's breaking out or, or what's going to happen and tracking it all. But I mean I'm seeing central banks accumulating more of this uh, and clearly there's intentions behind that. But that's been a driver in holding gold at particular levels. But what are you seeing happening within the gold sector, in particular, the the physical gold?
1: Well, you you outlined it, I mean, I I called that the gold run has begun. And um, people believe me or they don't. And my argument is that central bank buying will increase and it did last year It was like a record of Mm. 50 years accumulation by central banks on aggregate buying physical gold. Well, that kind of proves the point. On a run to gold, what really happens is the smart money gets in first, which might be your central banks, and then uh, maybe some, you know, big money managers, hedge funds, pension funds, that kind of thing. Maybe you see some states put up depositories like was proposed in uh, Texas that fell through. But so it goes, the analogy I use is the run to gold starts as a, a walk and then a brisk walk and then a a little low jog, and then a run, and then a, a big run, and then an all-out sprint. So in other words, it goes exponential at some point. And we're not there yet, we're probably years away, but not years like a decade, we're more like probably two years. It's been money for thousands of years, it remains money, even though the banks poo-poo it and don't really acknowledge it as money, and if you, the Federal Reserve has asked, well, is gold money, and said, no, it's tradition, And all this nonsense you hear, they're buying gold and they're buying it for a reason. If the whole thing goes awry, awry, they can rely on gold to back the currency or partially back the currency. And that's why they hold it. Uh, There's really no other reason. Its function really is money and almost money only. Yes, it's money and it's jewelry. And yes, it's used a little bit in industry, but nothing like silver. So the run of gold has begun. as the currency depreciation accelerates, you'll see more and more people come into the gold market and basis, since you know you're in Australia, you know. I mean, gold is at you know highs in uh, in many foreign you know foreign to American currencies. But in the u s, it's still very high, in uh, nominal terms, near two thousand. once it breaks out uh, in the u s. dollar terms, and I think it will probably about the same time the stock market's going down. Uh, It could go, if the stock market crashes, gold will go down with it, but it'll be temporary. Then it'll do what happened in 2008. It'll be first to come off the mat. It will go down the least percentage-wise, but it'll go down just like in 2008. Then it will rebound very strongly and you'll catch a lot of momentum. So that's that's a very likely scenario. History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes
0: okay and then we're seeing this yeah this depreciation in currencies across the world and this is where i am still emerging myself but into these centralized coins and almost crypto coins and what the future of currency is going to look like um, i mean i don't think it's a it's a quick overnight process naturally but there is clearly this adoption and moving towards it uh, personally i think these Government-controlled uh, digital currencies are a terrifying uh, reality, or at least they're being pushed in a different way. Um, if they do come to fruition, there's some very serious uh, and scary situations that can arise. Uh, but we're seeing these, yeah, these naturally these shifts in in the way that currency and money and the way business is being done. So I just want to touch, or at least pick your brain on on your thoughts on where this future is going. Uh, and naturally, if we're moving away from, yeah, US dollar because of its well, I guess it's it's crumbling in some regards, but it's hard to say if it's going to continue to. I'm not educated enough to know. But where does this future play out potentially?
1: All right. Well, potentially, first of all, I just want to put in a, a plug. You can go to my LinkedIn presence. Just look for the Morgan Report on LinkedIn. I just put up a, a four-minute video by Greg Reese, uh, Reese Report, and it really goes into what you just asked, in uh, by a banker. And this banker states that um, we need to start regional banks on our own with the jurisdictions that allow us to do so because we don't want to be in a central bank digital currency. And what he mm-hmm. said in this clip, and, I'm, and it's him saying it, not me, but I tend to agree with it, is he he, did, he alluded to going cashless and using it on your phone. But he said, actually, they really wanted a piece of rice. In other words, they want to have it, an implant in you like some people call the mark of the beast. Um, Eventually. So it was pretty interesting. So I'll just uh, direct people to there. I did also post on Twitter. It, it may be taken down on both those platforms. They don't like that kind of stuff, mm. uh, but I'm, you know, I'm me. I do what I think is right. So anyway, come back to your point. Um, Mark Carney, when he's president of the London uh, Bank of England, Said it in the UN, he said it in Davos, and he said it in Jackson Hole. So he said it in the three power centers for the money center banks. Uh, And he said, we want a MMT, modern money theory. So in other words, no limits to the amount of printing. Everything is digital, cashless society, no physical notes of any kind, and complete control. So everything is tracked and traced and taxed, probably at point of sale, and you have no freedom whatsoever. You are controlled by the central bank. So that's what they want. That doesn't necessarily mean that's just going to happen because there are a lot of um, people that were resisted. Right now, there's like, I don't know the number. I think it's like 2 billion people that are unbanked. And what the power elites want is everybody to have a digital ID connected to their bank account. They want to know what everyone on the planet is doing, what they're buying, what they're selling, Uh, what they're spending it on, and all that. And that's going to be difficult when you've got so many billions of people that really don't even have a bank account. So there is an alternative. There's the cryptocurrency world. In some cases, they are decentralized and you're able to use them uh, anonymously to a degree. It's not as anonymous as most people think because you have to go through an exchange and do a KYC, Mm -hmm. know your customer. And so that's in the database. And if they, they, if the government or another agency, three-letter agency in the U.S. I don't know what the agencies are in Australia, but I'm sure they're similar. Mm. Want something on you? They're going to be able to find it. There's really no place to hide. Uh, not that you should or shouldn't. I'm just giving the idea that people think um, that they have privacy. For example, like Proton Mail. Okay. Well, Proton Mail's got a pretty good algorithm. But it's not bulletproof. If anybody of uh, power, of an authority figure, wants to break into Proton Mail and see everything you've written, they will and they can. Mm. I digress, but I just want to make the point. I think the number one, two things I'm worried about the most. You haven't asked, but let's throw them out there. One is a cyber attack, which would be far could be far more devastating than dropping bombs. Now, not equating to a nuclear bomb, but you know, conventional warfare, because everything runs off of the Internet. So if you were able to mess with the money center bank or a large broker's house or a clearinghouse or some type of foreign exchange market, um, you could really do some damage very quickly and it would have a contagion effect because it would affect other money center banks if you can't settle with this one bank because they're closed down and I can't get any data to them or from them. Now you're in trouble. So that's one thing that worries me. The other thing that worries me is security. The cybersecurity is pathetic, and Mm -hmm. no one really talks about it. But if you talk to any of the really top dogs, men or women, or in between, they will tell you that the security that they have is not adequate for the ability of the hackers. So in other words, the hackers are ahead of them. And no one likes to talk about that because if you scared people into the reality of how insecure the internet is, it's vulnerable, you know, no one will put their credit card on it. And of course I do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet yeah, the reality is that it could be um, stolen uh, or, you know, intervened with or whatever. The, the protections are not again, adequate relative to what the other side can
0: yeah, well, the the sophisticated scammers, uh, I've seen that naturally go exponential in the past recent few years, and it's always tied in with geopolitical tensions. The war in Ukraine um, has elevated uh, a lot of attacks, uh, looking at some of the cyber, se- cyber security reports. Uh, there's been some really, well, yeah, terrifying statistics, but it is, it's that boogeyman that no one really wants to address because... Well, at the end of the day, if you say that the internet isn't safe and, you know, the entire system and the way that we've been progressing crumbles. Um and that's not really great for or not what people want to hear naturally. And it's best to keep that out of out of the the masses. But I mean, if we circle back there to you know gold having having its run it and the gold run, clearly that also means that silver has some potential as well. Because when you look at when gold runs, silver typically outperforms it but doesn't quite have the uh, no, the, the appeal that, that gold does. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on what's happening within the silver market in particular. Uh, and, and naturally, I've been mean, looking at where silver could potentially go, given that if gold runs, silver runs harder.
1: Sure. Uh, there's a couple of books. I don't know how many he wrote. Professor Roy S. Jastrom wrote The Golden Constant. And he also wrote Silver, The Restless Metal. And he probably wrote some others. I have them both. I've read them both couple times <clears throat> and the golden constant always says basically proves that gold has basically a constant purchasing power in terms of you know how much weed it'll buy or how much barley or whatever it varies some gold can be overvalued or undervalued like any money but it's the most stable so after he did that book he thought about silver what does it do and it's a different story silver sometimes does well during infla. does silver is the best according to him and that point in time, which I think is like 1963, if my memory serves, um, silver is the best throughout history to that point for inflation. But is that true this time? And and I'll answer that by, you know, guessing, like educated guessing. So silver, the restless metal, sometimes does not do well during depressions. Gold does. Um, but it varies. It's not in every case. So the question is what will happen with silver? Well, silver is so important to a high-tech society that there's no substitute. I mean, in some cases you can substitute aluminum or you can substitute uh, other metals, but uh, it doesn't work as well. And because of that fact, it always goes down to the to silver being the, the one and only for Anything electronic, anything electrical, um, conducts heat better than any metal, reflects light better than any metal, all those things. So industry's been using it more and more. If you talk to me 20 years ago, the industrial use of silver is 35% of the market. Today it's 55% of the market. In those 20 years, we're mining 300 million more ounces per year. So think about that. If it was a constant, uh, instead of being you know, 300 million ounces that have now accumulated on a mining basis over the last two decades. Say we didn't do any of that. Instead of being 55% of the market, it would be something like 85%. Of the market. It's not 55% because we've increased the, the production of silver over the last two decades. Point being is that that's continuing to grow, and the projections are that solar alone will take up something like Right now, it's about 12%. It could double from there. So if you have that and everything else, electrical, electronic, you're looking at maybe uh, 55, 70. You're looking at maybe 80%. Well, what does that leave for silverware, which isn't a very big market? What does that leave for jewelry? Um, and what does that leave for investment? So you can see it's, it could easily squeeze the market because the demand for silver would exceed the ability to produce and recycle it. And that projection starts basically right now. And we have very strong evidence that that's the case because we're seeing the SLV, which is the largest ETF for silver and is backed by some physical uh, draining, uh, not draining like in a hard sense, but there's an outflow of silver. That's really unusual when the silver price is moving up, which it is. Additional to that, COMEX is the, the, the seller of last resort. Um, before I got totally educated, I actually thought, you know, COMEX is very important for delivery of silver. It is in a way, but it's the silver last resort. You don't take silver off the exchange unless you have to. And that has happened and is happening. Uh, I think it was a year and a half ago or so. <clears throat> the inventory was like 150 million ounces of silver. Now it's around 30 million ounces of silver. So that is a huge drain off of this COMEX. The LBMA, I think, is less reliable in numbers. I'm not sure I trust the COMEX numbers, but I use them and believe them. And the LBMA is a little more obscure. They don't really give out data that's readily available, but it appears as if they too are seeing uh, more outgo than input. So silver's being uh, taken for... All kinds of purposes, but primarily industrial at this point. Mm. And what's lacking in the silver market is um, institutional investors. And you know these, all these banks and everybody are pretty much interconnected, and they come up with um, the good old boy club basically. And the word may be out, you know, no one really should be putting a a big amount of money in the silver market. Now, that sounds like a conspiracy theory, and it probably is. But uh, just want people to know that uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. We've seen silver do really well the last four weeks or so. And usually the algorithms will tell whoever's behind them, XYZ brokerage house, XYZ trading in Chicago, and they'll jump on it on the momentum. <clears throat> it hasn't happened. So silver is very bright. I think it will accelerate. Beyond gold, I think that once we get into this squeeze, and I think there will be a squeeze, it'll be kind of what's called a natural squeeze. What's a natural squeeze? The natural squeeze is industry must have it or they're out of business. So they'll pay any price. I Means if you buy a four thousand dollar refrigerator and it has eight, it has eight dollars worth of silver in it, but it has to have those eight dollars in silver. Or you don't get the display, and you don't get the right temperature. And silver goes from 25 to 100 bucks. That eight dollars goes up fourfold. It's got 32 dollars in a four thousand dollar refrigerator. It's not a very big percentage, even though it's quadrupled in price. That's price elastic. The amount of silver that's needed per unit is practically nothing. It's required. It's necessary. It happens. So that's why almost every application you can think of. When the silver price doubles and doubles again, or perhaps doubles one more time, it's not going to affect the price of the end product very much. Now, what will happen is the uh, the industry at large will will lie and say, "Oh, we had to up our prices on a refrigerator." Silver's gone up so much, and people won't know that you know it's only using eight dollars worth of silver now; it's using thirty-two. Uh, and the company that's selling refrigerators will not tell you that. They will just broadcast that silver costs are up. So they'll use it to their advantage. But the truth is what I just told you it's price inelastic. So mm. the other part is once the squeeze comes from industry, what happens to the investment community? Well, they're going to see this and they're going to jump on as well. So you can have <clears throat> competition, you might say, between the industry and the individual or in the investment community, be it retailer institutional, shooting after a market that's very small, very much in demand, required to keep our lifestyle. And all of a sudden, the game's on. So I expect a parabolic move in silver at some point, probably within the next two years, I'd say three at the most. And it will probably make the 1980s parabolic move when silver went from $6 to $50 in less than a year, or roughly in one year, eight eight and a half, 50% increase. So if you saw that again, uh, you'd see silver at what? 25 times four is 100. So it's $200 silver in a year's time. Sounds wacky. Sounds impossible. Mm. It's happened in the past and it could happen again in my study view because there is so much demand on both sides. And when people can't afford gold, once it goes to 2500 or 3000 what are they going to do? They're going to do exactly what they did in the 1970s they'll move into the silver market.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the point that I've been, well, naturally becoming aware of is the changes in the uses for the industrial side of silver and how the the demand, especially for solar panel, along with everything else has really changed the story behind why we need silver. And it's been this, well, yeah, when does the penny drop because we're facing this looming decision point where, yeah, the price has to go up because the spl- supply hasn't been coming online. Um, that's the whole concept there about like investors, what would they should really be looking at? And the idea now of of owning stocks, particularly in the resources space, if it's precious metals, or actually buying something that owns the physical uh, component of it. I mean, where where can investors or people potentially crystallize value um, going forward? because that's the the raging battle I've got in my mind now.
1: Well, that's a great question. I mean, historically, from the long-term perspective, the, there's really only a few places to put your money long-term for a legacy. And that's real estate, precious metals, and fine art, those three. So if you've got a long-term perspective, precious metals. I just did a, a presentation for the money show about a week ago. And the theme of that was, um, what what is the right amount of precious metals? And this is something that needs to be emphasized because it isn't a one-size-fits-all it's a guidance, but really 10%, 20% of the most is enough for most people. And that gives you 80% to be in real estate or stock market, bond market, business venture. Now, in certain times, you might wanna go in rather heavily because nothing else is working. And that would be like a Weimar Republic, Zimbabwe, Turkey, Argentina, you know, some of these, <clears throat> Countries that go hyperinflation, you really want to be probably almost fully invested in the metals because the stock markets go up, but not commensurate with the inflation rate. The only thing that does, in many cases in past, in the past, has been the precious metals. So, but that's not pertinent to you know the period of time we're in right now, and um, when everybody's late to the party and most people aren't invested in the metals, and then you discover. What the purpose is, <clears throat> the run to gold, as I said, it'll get to us all out sprint, and everybody's mother-in-law's, you know, cat is going to get on their phone and try to buy gold, and it's gonna, it's gonna take it exponential. I'm pretty certain.
0: Mm. Well, and that's where as well, and I, I need to do further investigation, but that's where the Bitcoin um, sort of community has rallied in a way that. Bitcoin has been very volatile, uh, but naturally there's the similarities and seeing that is now the safe haven. Who knows if there's going to be others that come online. There's a lot of tools and applications being built using Ethereum, but you know some of those higher and more profitable stable coins are almost now part of your new age investor. You have to diversify, but that's a whole other <laughs> story. And well, so Let me that, interject yeah.
1: there. I know we're a little off the main point, but the ABDCs, I think, are going to maybe even lead the way up and the ABDCs are asset-backed digital currencies, And those are backed by gold and silver or copper or could be cobalt. There's several out there, but most of the few that are for <clears throat> precious metals. I think at some point, your generation is going to say, wait a minute, what's really backing this? Is it just a software program or is it some asset that's, you know, held the test of time? And again, you know, you can have multiple investments in the cryptos, as you well know. So you could mm. be a Bitcoiner and have Ethereum and XRP and and have an asset-backed digital currency, and ABDC. So um, I do think that market is ripe, especially when um, your generation sees gold and silver taking off and it starts hitting the headlines again. Mm. You're probably not going to open up an account at a broker to get gold. You'll probably just get on your phone started in your wallet you might have a wallet that already allows you to use it for any crypto and you just go to the one i'm involved with load or kinesis or a glint or some of the other ones that are out there and say bing and you're done you know you just bought gold off of your phone and what's more powerful than having gold and silver on your phone not much because the ultimate stable coin would be gold i mean the mass you know one ounce one ounce of gold as i've said many times has the same mass everywhere in the universe. So there's nothing more constant than an ounce of gold. That's a stable coin. That's mm. the stable coin. And once the market realizes that, and I think it will, that will really shoot the ABDCs, the asset-backed digital currencies higher and higher with more and more momentum. I think of all those people that are unbanked, that say, hell, I don't need a bank. I'm just gonna buy an ABDC as part of my holdings and they'll not worry about it. So very interesting times
0: yeah yeah and and that's naturally the 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 new stage of the market that we're heading into and that we haven't even really touched on decentralized finance and the applications that that's going to have um i mean i'm following that uh, sort of briefly and looking at the way that we're moving away from using these intermediaries and um fx trading um, across the globe and, and just breaking this apart and and naturally there's players as you said the the big elites that don't want this to happen because, well, they miss out on a lot of money and a lot of returns. And I've spoken with some of the companies in that decentralized uh, marketplace, but I mean, moving forward in that, you know, especially having some of these coins that we're talking about, I mean, where do you see that the future of yeah, decentralized finance and just the ability for people to, to negate uh, and eliminate these intermediaries actually absorbing more risk on themselves, but moving away from these other people that take clips along the way.
1: Well, two things. One is uh, I'm very favorable to it. You know, with Web 3.0, and you can remain decentralized and have some anonymity. I'm all for that. Uh, the other part, of course, will be pushed back by the authorities that will want to, you know, pry into our lives. But we can circumvent it. I think we'll be able to do so. I mean, look at Monero right now. I mean, that's a privacy coin. So I think that will be the trend uh, for the people that are awake. And then that asks the second question, well, how many really are? And the answer to that is, I don't know. It doesn't appear to be very many. But in the currency crisis, people wake up really fast. You know, when they go and they see that the inflation rate is well beyond what the government's telling them, and that loaf of bread that they bought, you know, a month before is now 30% higher, and they're going to start to mitigate. Now, it's, and the truth spreads fast. I mean, the truth cannot be stamped out. And even though there's requirements for certain platforms to censor this and censor that, the truth wins regardless mm. if it's censored out of a certain platform. And so the point being is that people will tell each other, "Hey, you got to get on an asset-backed digital currency, or you got to move out of this. You got to get your, some of your money out of the bank and buy gold. You got to." And all of a sudden, as I said, that sprint, that run to gold doesn't necessarily mean gold only. You could use it as Getting out of the dollar, or getting out of a crisis situation, getting away from your government control, and that could be a crypto, it could be asset-backed crypto, it could be a regular crypto, it could be a barter club, it could be um, you know real estate. I'm not real big on it in this point, but it depends where you are and what you're doing. If you know you know could, there's a great deal, a guy needs cash and you've got it, and he's selling it 30 percent under market right now, go for it. So there's a lot of places to. Um, move from the status quo. And that's exactly what happens at the end of all great inflations. Because the free market looks ahead and says, wait a minute, this thing's failing. What's something else I can do? And was that the impetus for Bitcoin to come and evolve? I don't know. Mm. But Certainly, that was a start of a new system, a new way of thinking about money or transferring uh, peer-to-peer or institution-to-institution, even state-to-nation state if you wanted to. So there will be a pushback and there will be the ability with web 3.0 to be decentralized. So how much will be done? I, I don't know. Hopefully uh, the majority would be my dream, <clears throat> but I doubt it. I think too many masses are absolutely in control. And of course, when I say that, I get a lot of pushback. Mm. People don't know. Settle the, uh, the ability of the, uh, The powers that program us through the idiot box, software, social media, mainstream news, newspapers, magazines, etc. People think that they're informed, but for the most part, they're missing.
0: Yeah, all that. Yes, that was going to be my point is that you're presented, especially in a way that doesn't really give you a way to critical think. You're just told exactly what to think. Uh, And that's, well, naturally speaking from a podcasting point of view, one of the beauties of why these are taking off so much is because it does. It encourages critical thinking and and challenging the norm and and speaking freely, as opposed to potentially the the opposite, which is yeah, just being told what to do. But this has all been really, I could say, an insight into the Morgan report. Um, so if I'd give you a few moments now to talk about that and and what it covers and how long you've been doing it and and naturally how people can get involved and follow it and find out what packages they can potentially get.
1: Sure. First, let me just state that. Um... If anyone in Australia wants an offshore silver or gold account, I can help them with that. So they can just send a email to support at themorganreport.com, and I will uh, answer that personally. It unfortunately I have to put a uh, caveat in there, and that is got to be somewhere around the equivalent of twenty-five thousand USD. I don't know what the conversion is to Australian dollars currently. I can't do it for just everybody that wants to buy a roll. of metal not But anyone that's in the league of, uh, you know, 25,000 or more 50,000 a million. I mean, we have people that have bought a million dollars, not many, but some do or can or want to. Uh, On the Morgan Report, there's the free version, just go to the Morgan Report.com, sign up, it's right on the landing page. It's mostly videos that I do podcasts like this that I put out and send to them. Also do a commentary that's private, that goes to that uh, list. Uh, it's called the Weekly Perspective, and it's usually me just jawboning for about 10 minutes about the markets in general. I end always with a silver and gold comment. Uh, then there's a page part of the website. We look mostly at the equity side, and we also talk about, uh, there's a, a PDF said, stated how to use the mortgage report. And in that, I go from top to bottom saying, okay, you've got this much money, you're this old, you buy this much physical gold, you buy this much physical silver. Now, that's your never go away precious metals hedge. Now, you go into the equities. You go into the top tier with 70% of the money that's left. You go into mid tier with 20% of the money that's left and you speculate with 10%. So it's outlined and it's a model portfolio. It should show you exactly what stocks I have bought, when I bought them and how they're performing. And then I do video updates during the month. So you get a monthly electronic Usually it's in the 15, 16, 17 pages, not, I'd rather have it shorter than, uh, you know, I I make them as long as required. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they're 12 pages, sometimes they're 20, just depends. Regardless, I also do updates during the week or during the month on whatever's pertinent. Sometimes it's questions to me that I think the whole group should learn or get the answer to. That's often the case. And then I usually show the markets, show what gold's doing, silver, the dollar, the bond market, the stock market, you name it. And then we have um, uh, the ability basically to answer any questions. So I'm one of the few, although I think many have adopted this now. In the old days, the editors picked out a few questions and answered them. When you are in the paid service, I guarantee you, you can any question you ask, you will get it. So that's sort of like having a private consultation because you're a paid member. But I think that's a pretty good outline. There is a couple advanced services. One's called the Mastermind. That's for fund managers or extremely high net worth people. Uh, we do some private equity in that, not every month, but usually two or three times a year. Uh, we did a copper deal that I think is phenomenal, but just because I think it's phenomenal doesn't mean it is. And again, it's private equity that will go public and you will get some liquidity, but you have to be patient. So. I
0: think yeah. that sums up. No, fantastic. I appreciate it. There, there's a hell of a lot going on. And I, I know you have your, your social accounts that have a lot of information on there as well. Um, so reach out to the Silver Guru on Twitter and LinkedIn. But yeah, thank you, David, for taking the time to speak with me today on the show. And yeah, looking forward to staying in touch, to seeing what's uh, unfolding. Bring on uh, October and Halloween. Let's see what happens, as you said <laughs> earlier. Um, but yeah, thank you for, for taking the time to speak with me on the show.
1: Well, my pleasure, Ben. Thanks for having me. I wish you every success as well.
0: Thanks for listening to the Market Bull podcast. If you enjoyed it, please make sure to like and subscribe. You can follow the Market Bull on our socials at Twitter and LinkedIn by searching The Market Bull. You can also subscribe to our newsletter on the website by visiting www.themarketbull.com.au.